Now he's panic-stricken. He's on the verge of a mental collapse. An inch away from confessing the whole thing to the police. And then, one morning, he awakens. And the sun is shining and his family is around him. Mysteriously, the, the crisis is lifted. Takes his family on a vacation to Europe, and as the months pass, he finds he's not punished. In fact, he prospers. The killing gets attributed to another person, a drifter, who has a number of other murders to his credit, so, I mean, what the hell, one more doesn't even matter. Now he's scot-free. His life is completely back to normal. Back to his protected world of wealth and privilege. The Night Fly coming at you. Hey, everybody. It is The Night Fly, a brand new version. But not really a version, but a brand new, just a brand new episode. The Night Fly, June 2018. Let's sing it like we mean it. Said, well, listen, I uh, I don't know why I'm playing it. It's just uh, a song that got me through some stuff like uh, two weeks ago. I didn't want to do another podcast. It's going to disappoint everybody. When I say disappoint, I mean just depress everybody. The weight has been lifted, as we said in the opening clip. Somehow the sun was shining and everything was okay. I don't know what happened, but I don't understand why it happens, but it does. And we all have bouts of depression. And... Uh, that's what happens sometimes. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, I, I, I guess I could talk to somebody, but, you know, I, t- I talk to you guys. And that and therein lies the fix. Talking to everybody. This podcast doesn't make any money. I do it for you guys. I do it for the people that, that enjoy listening to this nonsense and drivel and, and just fun stuff that, you know, we all seem to like together and no one else cares about but you and me. And isn't that really just the best way to be? I think I wonder if I just got excited when I found out Lucifer got picked up for a fourth season. You know, that's my favorite show. I was so upset that I got canceled. I think I, right after that, I went on a downward spiral. It's like the only show I like on television. But anyway, Netflix is going to pick it up, which is terrific. It's a really great show. It really is the best show. People say, oh, what's your favorite show on television? I say Lucifer. 
And they're like, I don't know what that is. I'm like, well, you should check it out because it's awesome. Because it's, uh, it's, you know, it's funny. It's one of those, you know, it's one of those shows I like, which is a silly crime drama. Where, you know, the person dies. It's the pattern. The person dies at the beginning, and then uh, there's some crazy person that solved the crime, whether it's a magician or the devil or Petroselli, who, you know, we'll talk about later. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who it is for me as long as it's not real. I, I still just don't understand the SUV craze. I mean, why Why would you want to see real stuff in the headlines? What about that that maid that killed those kids in the city? She finally got convicted, that evil woman, and uh, slashed the kids in the bathtubs. I can imagine the parents come. They, they depict that stuff in SUV. Why would I want to see that? I don't even want to know that that's real. And half the stuff, if it's no, if I know it for it from the headlines, I'm like, this is, we live in a horrible planet. And now we realize it is just and moral and he's being judged. I'm doing my Martin Landau again, but I'm just saying. That's why I try and keep myself out of the real mix, you know? Well, what are you going to do? Sometimes it just comes back up at you. But here we are today by ourselves again, looking out the window on a beautiful day. Saturday, uh, what, the 16th of June, I think? <laughs> Some 6 6 was on there. I know that. <laughs> Overlook of the beautiful East River. Uh, that horrible building that blocks my Silver Cup Studios view, which always bothers me. Queensboro Bridge. Boats going by. People walking babies. It's a beautiful day here in New York City. Finally, after months and months. I mean, when is the last time we saw sun? Last year maybe august again you know you can't complain about it because there is a way out of this and we all just have to move to the west coast it's that simple there's a place on this planet where it never rains and the sun always is out and it's called southern california and if we choose to you know as long as you're here legally we can move there and that we clearly choose not to do if you're living in Kansas and you hate tornadoes, by all means, move to San Diego. Perhaps things will be better for you. You know, if you don't have a problem with Mexicans, move there. But we choose to live here. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, I wonder if you live in California and it's sunny every day and perfect, and then you're just like... I. Do you get bored? Do you take it for granted? Probably. You have to, right? But let's face it, the fall here is beautiful. I mean, it's fantastic. So like I've said a hundred times, the best scenario, at least for me, I would say for everyone, I mean, old people do it all the time, right? They spend six months here, they spend six months in Florida. For me, the best scenario would be to live here six months, living somewhere around Los Angeles, wherever it's going to be for six months. Talking about going there from January to June. Come back here June 1st, although quite frankly this year, come back June 16th. Don't come back anytime sooner because it just doesn't get what May stinks lately. May should be perfect. Should be able to come back May 1st or May 15th tops, and you should have from May 15th to June 30th to be the most awesome time living on a planet. But it's just, oh, my God. It's just, I, you know, I guess it's global warming. I don't remember it as a kid being so goddamn horrible. Cold and rainy. I mean, that's supposed to be April. Remember, April showers bring May flowers. Well, we didn't see any of that. You know, I really am like a DJ, <laughs> especially since my initials are DJ. <laughs> um, 
uh, because all I do when I first come out is talk about the weather. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I've always wanted to be. Mm. I went to the uh, coffee shop next door because that, you know, pretty girl is there and got my, the, you know, when I can go to her, I can go to the usual. She looks amazing today because, you, know, you know, it's hot out. She's wearing shorts. T-shirt looks terrific. And I just, I just, I cannot flirt i mean sometimes i think i can i was just not in a mood i should have had coffee first before i went in to get coffee and maybe it would have been better off because i was just if i ever had any game ever in my life and i and i have on occasion you know if i'm feeling good about myself and confident on one particular occasion it wasn't today i don't know what i was i was just like so do you have a father happy father's day no, I'm not going to get to see him tomorrow. Oh, my father's dead. So, heh, you, sh- you should um, call him or... I, you, it, was, it was fucking horrible. I just like left out. I'm like, what's the matter with me? Meanwhile, she's like 12. Oh, she's, definitely, she's definitely young. And I, I don't think she does anything. I don't think she has a boyfriend. I don't think she... I think she goes to school. I could ask her, but she's very young. And what do you, you know, you can't, you gotta, you gotta be careful. You don't want to look foolish. What am I gonna not go in and get coffee there now? I mean, come on. Because I hate the owner there. That guy's a dick. I was like making some jokes there. He was having none of it. I was doing very well with him though. I mean, even though he was having none of it, my shit was on with him. And then with her, I just, I, I just got tongue tied, which happens most. You know, I mean, there's a reason why somebody never gets married at fifty. And, uh, well, here it is. I stink. Uh, but I'm not in a horrible mood today. I'm in a good mood. I'm not, well, I'm not in a great mood, but I mean, I, I, I have, oh my God, after that podcast, and I'm so sorry, everybody. I know that was pretty tough, but, um, you know, you got to keep it real, right? And so I didn't do a podcast perfect purposely on Wednesday because I was so down again. I don't know what happened. I swear, I swear, I can't put my finger on why I got that sty back in my eye. That I got when Selena died, my cat. Um, clearly, it flares up. It's some sort of AIDS, herpes virus, I guess, or something that seems to flare up when I'm stressed or depressed. And depression, I guess, causes stress. And and there it is. That stupid, you know. I thought I had pink eye again. And I realized no, it's just that stupid sty that came up a year ago when my cat died. So if you ever see me with the style, you know something is going wrong in my head. I don't know why, but I'll tell you this, and I know I say this on the podcast and everything, but God damn it, don't you hate when people put that shit on Facebook? I got a friend, Lisa, and she put down like, folks, I'm trying to deal with depression. I've had some boyfriends. It seems like, like the podcast seems like, yes, you know, un- unlock your feelings because that's what it seems like. Well, at least mine is for that. But Facebook, I don't know. Like, why would I put that out on Facebook? Or is it the same thing? I guess it's the same thing. If you don't have a podcast, you'd put it on Facebook. It just, I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to hear people's comments on that. I don't want to put that. And you know what the worst is on, on Facebook when people put, oh my God, my husband of 25 has been the most amazing journey I've ever. It's just so stupid. Does it seems like why? Why do you got to profess your love on Facebook? The best kind of professing love would be to your uh, spouse 
uh, alone in a, in a privacy of your own home, and then you you have this kind of secret amongst you, and then you treat them badly outside everywhere else, so everybody thinks you have a horrible marriage, but secretly you know it's awesome. Wouldn't that be the most fun? Why does he let him treat him treat her like that? Although I guess that's what some girls do, <laughs> but it's not real, and then you get nervous because you don't know how to handle it. Well, when I say treat you bad, I don't mean hit them. Hey, sweetie, get me a beer, will you? You know, meanwhile, when the doors are closed, you're like, can I get you anything, anything at all? I don't know what I'm talking about. I haven't had a good relationship since the 30s. I'm talking about the 2030s. I'm talking about the future. <laughs> I just watched Back to the Future 2 last night again. It's, it's not good, but I don't hate it. Still, though, can't stop thinking about that almanac. Oh, man, that's all I ever think about. I'm like, I got to get, I sit there and watch that. I go, I got to get that almanac. That's the only way I can make money. I've got to get that almanac. I remember, I'm a gambling man. They just started betting. I can go to the track and I can bet. I got to get that almanac. I, I got to travel one day into the future to make one bet. It's that simple. We travel one day into the future and then come back. You know, and find out who's going to win. Now, if I stepped on a butterfly or something, that could all be a disaster because then maybe they wouldn't win because, you know, there's an effect. But you hope that wouldn't happen and, you you know, you bet and that's it. Now, this guy, uh, we were reading the Monmouth Racetrack Open yesterday, the New Jersey uh, or whatever day it was. The governor made the first bet. He bet um, money on the Devils to go all the way to the Stanley Cup. That's a very nice bet. It's not going to happen this year, but... Uh, that's very cool that he bet on the Devils. That's wonderful. And I think, uh, what was the other bet he made? Uh, the Mets or something? I, I can't remember. And then this other guy comes in. He's a professional gambler. He put $5,000, I think, of the White Sox to beat the Indians. He has knowledge. He put $5,000 on that, and the uh, White Sox lost. And that guy, so if you, if you have knowledge, clearly you know gambling's not for you. Now, if you can believe it, on Monday... It was the first day I didn't gamble. I don't know what to, maybe I just lost enough finally where I realized it's not, I can't do this. So Monday was the first day I haven't gambled in a year and a half. I've gambled every day. I didn't gamble Monday through Thursday. Because I have a balance, I had to gamble Friday and today. I'm filming, I'm taping this on a Saturday. Because I, if I don't play, then they're going to request everything. That's how bad it is. I know I'm making excuses, but I'm doing the best I can. But I'm still not upset about it. You know, I went to the track last week uh, with my friend Joe Messina. And uh, I didn't do very well because I wasn't even looking at the statistics. I was just coming up with names and stuff and and win anything. And then the last race, which was the Belmont race. I wasn't at Belmont. I was at one jersey. And the last race, the Belmont race, um, I won because I took Justify. So I was I, picking that there would be a triple crown. And I took Justify and every other horse for an exacta for $18, a $2 exacta. It cost $18. Justify had to win. And any other horse that came in with them, I would win. So that Gronkowski horse came in at 24 to 1, and the executive paid 92 bucks. So I want some money back. That's a good day at the track. You got to figure. And then after that, 
We went to Big Ed's. All you can eat ribs. I had four orders of ribs. It was terrific. I really, I went for it. I cleaned, you know, Joe's daughter was making fun of me because I didn't take the meat off the bones because that's how, you know, I just like, come on, I got to get to the next one. This time I, I had witnesses. I took the meat off the bones and I ordered four. I'm like, yeah, give me another rack because, you know, that's how you want to do it. Well, you don't want to go to a place where you can only eat ribs and just have one rack of ribs. You got to go for it. So I had four. Now, remember, when I say four, they weren't full racks. They give you maybe a full rack. Maybe they give you a half rack starting, you know, and then some sides. And then they give you, maybe they give you a quarter of a rack each time. So that's the way I'm thinking. I can't remember how it is. It seems very small. Like maybe there's three ribs. Maybe it is half a rack, actually, uh, the second time. So I guess I ate. If I could figure it out, then so maybe if you count that as a full rack, so one, that would be full. So I had two and a half racks of ribs. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then a chocolate lava cake. And um, then uh, I don't have to tell you what happened left. No, actually, I felt okay. I, the odd thing was I didn't have uh, any kind of diarrhea until the next day uh, and, you know, got it out and everything was fine. I didn't have any stomach aches or anything. It's so funny. I mean, listen, my stomach is obviously a miracle. Uh, I, you know, I have stomach aches, I have diarrhea, but that's all due to stress, and it should be due to my eating, my horrible eating habits. But uh, I don't know how to stop it. I don't know how to stop that. I don't know how to stop the gambling. And in the way, it's kind of just like, well, if you don't like this weather, then move to California. It's the exact same scenario. There's a way for me to eat properly and not gamble. I just choose not to do it. So that is on me. Now, the Tony Awards were last week. We didn't talk about them at all uh, because I didn't care. See, after when there's a year with a show like Dear Evan Hansen or something, you know, that I am so involved in, I was, there was, what was happening this year? Nothing. I couldn't have cared less. You know, I was all in, obviously, last year at Dear Evan Hansen. What did we do, three podcasts with Dear Evan Hansen? I'm, I'm sure some of, you know, because I, I, I know my numbers go up when I talk Broadway. So I know, you know, some of you really liked it. And the rest of you are like, is he talking about Dear Evan Hansen again for real? But I, I don't know. Listen, <laughs> I'd say a hundred times, you're just not going to see a performance like that again in a lifetime. I mean, maybe in a life, maybe 20 years from now. It's very rare to catch a thing like that to, you know, to, 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 to where everyone's aware that this one kid is just this sensation. You know, when it's not even the play, it's, you know, certainly the play is good enough, but it, you know, clearly it's not that good. Nobody mentions Dear Evan Hansen anymore. Once that kid left, oh my God, it's over. Whoever's doing the show we talked about before cannot hold a candle to Ben Platt. So there was nobody to root for for my money. Uh, I couldn't give a shit about me, girl. I haven't seen it. I'm still looking forward to seeing it, but I haven't seen it. You know, I just, I, there's nothing I want to see. Uh, you know, I already saw Harry Potter. You knew that was going to win something. I mean, who cares? It, it's just, you know, there was nothing really going on. And, and it's just all, re, everybody won for remakes, you know, Angel in America, all that stuff. Um, the one good thing, which is very nice, and this is kind of exciting for me, is that the band's visit, which I still have not seen which I tell you like that now because what I'm about to tell you, you understand. The band's visit won everything. And that's by David Yazbek. David Yazbek, kind enough to consider me for the Tootsie musical that we were talking about. 
And I wrote him and said, congratulations, I'm real happy for you. And he wrote back, thank you so much, David. And I was like, wow, that's like a big deal. The guy that just won the Tony Award for Best Musical wrote me back. I tell you, that was the start of a very, that, that's where it started the lift. I'm like, boy, that's pretty damn cool. It's not cool that I haven't seen it, but I've been waiting for my friend Bob to go with me. We were supposed to go together. And I'm waiting on, you know, my friend Larry Moss and, and Vincent to go see Mean Girls. So I'm waiting on other people. And it's not the money or tickets or anything. It's just like I, you know, I don't have anybody to go with. So, you know, I'm waiting for people to uh, go with. It's very difficult to, you know, because otherwise if I go on a date, well, you know how that works out. I got to pay for everybody and the whole thing is a disaster. And listen, and listen that, that's an expensive date. As we've spoken about before, you're talking, that's, you know, you're, if, if you go anywhere else after, you're talking the date's already $300 for tickets alone. Or is it more? No, it's it's four hundred. The tickets are like one hundred and ninety dollars. So the date opens at four hundred dollars, and if you go anywhere else, or drinks or dinner, again you, you're talking about spending you know like six seven hundred dollars. So you know if I if it's the typical dates where I have where I think they're dates, but the girl doesn't seem to know it's a date. Well, screw that. <laughs> There's got to be a way to bring out a, a date that I think is a date, but they don't know it's a date, but secretly I know it's a date uh, for less than that. Maybe I can pull that up for 50 bucks, which actually I think I did the other day. Actually, I, I did a roast battle down at the New York Comedy Club on Thursday. It was so much fun. I judged. I judged the roast battle because the owner there, Amelia, is a doll. And um, I was very nervous. But I tell you, that's when the depression started living. I think I was very nervous about that. You know, I, I don't write jokes, but I know you have to have stuff prepared. And I just, I just, I just take them off the internet. I, I, I don't know where to begin and, and try and, you know, and fix them into my own, which is, I guess, what comedians do anyway. I mean, there's, so I just do the best I can and make it sound like it's just coming out naturally. I try not to read off the paper when I'm saying it because I'm there with Mike Cannon and Yamanique Sanders, who's hilarious. Oh, my God sassy Yamanique and just trying to hold my ear. Yamanique is so funny. She's just, now stop right there. You, are you kidding? <laughs> like if, it, if somebody has a fat joke or a black joke or a woman joke, she just gives them so much shit. It's hilarious every time. She's really funny. She's really funny. Um, but it was a good time and I, uh, you know, I asked this uh, girl from work to come, and she came, and it was nice. We had a nice time together. We went out a little bit, and then I sent her home in an Uber. That cost me 50 bucks. What are you going to do? What are they going to make her take the bus home at night? She lives in Jersey. What, what am I going to do? I'm a gentleman. I was brought up a certain way. I cannot make that girl go home on her own like that, taking this. Whatever. I don't even know how she gets home from there. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Just let women go off and get raped i mean that's the way it's gonna end right it was four in the morning that's why i couldn't do the podcast when i got home yesterday oi i was a mess but it was fun i was having a good time and uh, anyway i was talking about the tonys and uh you know this robert de niro he goes uh, fuck trump man I haven't been a fan of Robert De Niro in 20 years because his work stinks, but obviously his past work makes him an absolute living goddamn legend. But that's, that ain't cool. There's no need for that. 
Why do you got to say that? I know you don't like Trump, but you don't, you know, and you know what? Is that, is that productive to say two days before this guy is trying to make something happen so we don't get nuked? You ungrateful fucking prick. Yeah, that's right, De Niro. I just called you an ungrateful fucking prick. You got too much money. You don't know how the world works. Donald Trump may not be anybody's favorite president ever. But the guy is given a try to something that nobody's been able to do for a long time. He's trying. And you're saying, fuck Trump, two days before this guy pulls off this massive thing. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah, Kim Jong-un could be lying. But he's trying. It's more than you're doing. What are you doing? You're just sitting out there. You're making bad movies. You're ruining your career in these choices you make. And you got the nerve to say fuck the president uh, on television when this guy's trying. I, I know he does things you don't appreciate. And I know he does stuff that's completely questionable. But Jesus Christ, is it necessary two days before he's trying to do something that could help this entire planet? I mean, I don't want to sit here and say Trump is the greatest, Trump is this and that. I'm just saying have a little fucking respect. Because what you did was just as bad as what what people think of kneeling at the... I got no problem kneeling with the, the uh, Star Spangled Banner. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but that's what you're doing. If the people that do have a problem with that, that's what you just did. You just disrespected your country because you did not give a president respect. And I understand you never want to respect this guy ever. I get it. I get it. But this guy's making a move. He's making a move, and it's more than you're doing making fucking crappy Meet the Fockers movies or whatever, The Intern, whatever the fuck you're, that, that comedy movie you're doing. How is that helping anybody? It's, you know, we talk about Trump on this podcast. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm a Trump supporter. I'm just not a Trump hater. I'm not a Trump hater. And, and... And, and, you know, I don't like to talk politics. Russ and I last week, you can see he, he seems to like some stuff what Trump's doing. I think that these people that dislike Trump so much aren't really paying attention. And they're just spouting up stuff. And it's, it's pretty bad. I'm the guy that listens to both sides. I want to hear both sides. I don't mind Sarah preaching to me about how much Trump sucks or De Niro. But that's disrespectful. This guy's, I mean, what he did on Tuesday... Whether it works out or not, if they nuke us tomorrow, we would still say, hey, he did the best he could. In the last 50 years, nobody's been able to do better. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's giving it a fucking try. It, it, I, I, just, I just don't understand the disrespect for that. Now, with the National Anthem, you know, what's happening with the NFL is they're saying, hey, if you don't want to stand for the National Anthem, we want everybody to stand for the National Anthem. You don't want to stand for the National Anthem Stay inside. Now, here's my thing with the National Anthem. I've always been where I will sit down during the National Anthem because I say to myself, hey, nobody can tell me I have to stand for the National Anthem. And when people say, hey, stand up, I say, go fuck yourself. I don't have to stand for the National Anthem. I don't stand for the National Anthem many times 
not because I disrespect my country. I fucking love this country. I do it because this country is great that I should be able to choose whether I feel like standing on a certain day or not. It's complete respect for this country. Now, if you're talking about that, you feel that I'm being ungrateful to servicemen or people that have served the country, that's a different story. But I don't think of the national anthem that way sometimes. And I don't think it should be played before every sporting event. I That's the issue. Take it out. Let's not play the goddamn national anthem anymore at every sporting event. It's not necessary. Let's do it at the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is what makes America great. Every world watches the damn Super Bowl, play it at the Super Bowl, show everybody, yeah, we're fucking badass cool. But these black guys, they got, you know, that were the people that are kneeling, you know, as opposed to the black people because they're doing it for black rights, all that kind of stuff. Maybe it's the wrong way to show it. Making a stand. This nation has made a lot of goddamn mistakes, let alone how we got here. You know, I think everybody seems to forget the way we got the land, pretty much slaughtering all the Indians. We suck, you know, like we're pretty bad sometimes. But, you know, we're Americans, we're in it together. There's nothing we can do about it. But, you know, it just... uh, just take out the national anthem. You don't need it to play it at every basketball game and every hockey game where you're playing two because there's Canadian teams. It's not necessary. We don't need to do this. If you're doing the World Cup, the, you know what? I, you're playing your team's national anthem. I get that. That's different. You're on a world stage. That's what I'm saying. The Super Bowl, you're on a world stage playing the national anthem. At the Olympics, you play the country's anthem. Makes perfect sense. We don't need to play the damn national anthem, everything. And I'll tell you what we don't need is to hear God bless America in the seventh inning of a goddamn baseball game. I know we were doing that at 9-11. I get it. It's just not necessary. Baseball is American. We get that. We're not going to forget 9-11 because we stopped singing God bless America at the seventh inning stretch. Everybody's got to relax. There's no reason to have to stand for the national anthem at every ball game every day. It it doesn't need to be played. If you disagree, tweet me and, and, and tell me why you would disagree with something like that in the sense of like, do we really need it? Tell me a reason of why we need to play the national anthem every day. Do I think kids should say the Pledge of Allegiance every day in school? That's a good one. Because we used to do it. I assume they still do. The last time I was teaching at a school, they did. I was hoping I remember the words. Um, I don't have a problem with that, I don't think. Because, you know, you want to instill to the students that we're Americans. And we're all in it together. And everybody's doing the same thing. And maybe... Yeah, maybe we've done some wrong things. So if you're, if you're, you know, the the national anthem is it's it's kind of it was written at a time when yeah it was there was slavery and all that kind of stuff. I I, I get it. Um, so let's choose another national anthem. Why don't we start that? Why are we married to that one? Who gives a shit? What if we all just agree we do a vote like we vote the president in? 
and 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 let's use something else. Why don't we have people send in? I mean, I think um, didn't Bob and Ray many years ago in the fifties make a whole album on new national anthems? <sighs> Seems like the most obvious thing. Uh, but I boy, boy, that'd be. But you could make an t- entire movie out of that. That'd be hilarious. Actually, you know what? I'm just gonna write that. I'm gonna send it to Netflix. Done and done. Now, speaking of movies, let's get back on track here. I uh, wasn't sure what I was going to say about Robert De Niro, I tell you, because I just, um, I'm sorry. I think it's disrespectful. I know you have your views, but the rest of us are hoping for good things. And again, again, I point out, you live a different lifestyle than we do, sir. You live a very privileged lifestyle. You didn't start that way, but you know now you have money and fame and fortune. And uh, you, you know you live in a penthouse in New York City. You have a different lifestyle than the rest of us do, who are just hoping not to get nuked. I mean, you probably have a thing that if some nuclear bomb goes off and we're going to hit, you probably have a bunker somewhere to hide so you'll survive. The rest of us are doomed. So you know what? Fuck De Niro. How about that? And that's really difficult to say since he's kind of my hero. But he's ruining his reputation so badly with all the movies he's made that uh, nobody's even going to remember The Godfather 2 or Goodfellas. You know, except me. So, uh, I guess I was watching this movie the other day called Heroes that I, I must have seen in the, in the movie theater in 1977. It, uh, if you don't know it, it stars Henry Winkler in a serious, what's it called, PST drama, post-traumatic, PTS is that what it is? Post-traumatic stress syndrome? I think that's what it's called, right? When you come back from the army. So it starts Henry Winkler. And that's why I went to see it, of course. Because I remember the ads before you went to see... It must have been after that. I'm trying to think when they came out because I, I don't know whether they... I'll tell you why I think... I mean, they were probably going to release it anyway, but it got released in November of 77, and I don't know whether they shot it, whether that was the plan or whether they shot it out quickly because let me tell you who's in it if you don't know it. Here's the trailer. I love these trailers from the 70s. Jack Dunn. Stop the bus. Vietnam veteran. Strong enough Thank to you. make it home. What do you know? Oh, that's why you see they're playing that Kansas theme. That's, just, that, that's why I think I played it this morning. I was, but it was it, that Kansas thing that Harry, isn't that funny? It was, uh, I was playing it anyway because I was thinking of when I saw the Tonys or I heard about the Tonys. I, I swear I didn't watch them this year. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking for some reason if that was a song on Broadway, boy, that would be a fun show. And then I got this clip and they were playing that song again. So I opened the show with it today. Crazy enough to have a dream. I know what I want. I want to start a worm farm with the guys that I fought with. I like you. Sane enough to have someone believe it. Henry Winkler, Sally Field. Finding the one you love is finding yourself. Heroes, rated PG. (laughs) Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspapers for showtime. That's my favorite part, of course. That's why I had to leave it in. Um, Yeah, so I remember what happened. You know, Henry Winkler... Before Star Wars came out, <laughs> uh, or you know, before we knew Harrison Ford was the ultimate shit, Henry Winkler was the shit. The Fonz, 
was the greatest character on television history, maybe. Him and Archie Bunker. Two of the greatest television characters in television history. It's a fact. It's a fact. Go, you know, if you're young, look it up. The Fonz was the shit. Uh, This little Jewish boy from wherever he was from somehow fooled everybody into thinking he was the toughest, coolest guy in his day. And he was brilliant at doing it. And the reason he still makes movies today is because there are guys like me, I'm talking about Adam Sandler, I'm talking about Bill Hader, who grew up worshiping Arthur Fonzarelli, and they put him in his stuff because it means so much to them. The way I'm friends with Richard Klein is the way I would also be friends with Henry Winkler. It would be an honor and a privilege because not only is he clearly a nice guy I've, I've just heard and seen, it just looks like he is, but I've also heard from like Sarah and people before that he is just a doll and a half. Um, but he's a hero. I mean, he is. I mean, you know, I mean, he was so funny. Those early episodes before he became a school teacher, which was ridiculous, not his fault. He just, he was smart. He was an actor who stuck with the show. You know, we talked about that last week. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he was so funny. You look at the old episodes. These episodes are horrible, but he remains it still makes you laugh out loud because now we know he's just not like that at all it's a character he's doing there's nothing funny of this guy coming in hitting the jukebox and the girl pops up i mean that that's gonna work every time so this guy so he's so but so he, he makes this so so when i saw the coming attraction i remember it starts in the in, in this thing where it is the first words Jack Gunn. Stop the bus. Vietnam death. Stop the bus. Um, that's how I remember. I'm like, oh my God, I got to see this movie. He's on a bus. The, he misses the bus and then he hops on the bus in the front. So he's in the windshield and he's just talking to the guy very calmly. Stop the bus, please. Um, and when you're in the theater and it's the Fonz, you're like, oh my God, this movie's going to be hilarious. And then you realize it's so not hilarious. But I think they made it kind of look hilarious. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. He wants to start a worm farm. Well, because he apparently has Pete. He's a mess. He thinks this guy he's going to start it with is alive. He's not alive. Yeah, I ruined the plot. Spoiler alert, big deal. It's not a good movie. I was watching the other day because who's in it? They mentioned Sally Field. And the other person who's in it is Harrison Ford. Yeah. And it's weird. So in 1977... This movie comes out, and we've gone over 77 already, you know, because of Slapshot and everything. It's just funny that I keep concentrating on this year. It's a very fascinating year. I've actually written a paper about it, how fascinating it is, that 74 for some reason, because I'm insane. So that's the year Star Wars comes out. So, you know, what are you going to do? So, so, so this little movie, Heroes, which cost, you know, nothing to make, I, I assume, uh, becomes the number 15 movie of the year, that year. And it's a little movie that probably most of you have never even heard. Um, Winkler plays uh, PTSD, who sets about finding the men from his unit. Well, we already knew that. 
This is the first film released after the conflict ended in 1975 to address Vietnam War issues. So isn't that interesting? So crazy um, that they use Henry Winkler. But Henry Winkler's a huge star. So it seemed like a comedy, but it wasn't. So, you know, it made a lot of money because Henry Winkler said, but it's a bad film. And I remember seeing it as a kid. I'm like, eh, it's not working. But this little movie has the number one box office star that year, Harrison Ford. It has the number two box office star in Sally Field and the number one television star in the nation in Henry Winkler. I mean, that, well, I guess that's why it made money. It's funny that you can make a better film (laughs) with those three elements. Now, clearly Harrison Ford filmed this movie before Star Wars came out because there was no way they were going to get him after Star Wars came out for this you know, for playing a supporting role. Um, but 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 here's also the best part about that. So so what I said, Sally Field being number two, Smokey and the Bandit, which is, you know, there's just nothing funnier than the fact that Smokey and the Bandit was the number two film after Star Wars. But here here's the best part. This is the, this is her character in Heroes. Uh, at the bus station, uh, Henry Winkler actually accidentally meets Carol Bell, Sally Field. You ready for this? A woman unsure of her engagement to a man towards whom she had confused feelings. Initially annoyed by Jack, Carol gradually warms to him as they set off on a trip through middle America. During the journey, she has time to reflect on her impending nuptials. Now, I don't have this written down, and I should have rewritten it myself. Now I'm going to tell you her character, Smokey and the Bandit. A woman frog. Uh, let's, I'm trying to word it myself in the moment. A woman unsure of her engagement to a man towards who she has confused feelings. Uh, is Okay. Initially annoyed by Bandit, Frog gradually warms to him as they set off on a trip through middle America. <laughs> During the journey, she has time to reflect on her impending neutrals. Now, that's I just made that up, changing the names to be Smokey and the Bandit. So <laughs> I, I like that. All of a sudden, Sally Field couldn't get a part to save her life because Sally Field was not only Gidget and the Flying Nun, but she was also you know, just in the worst sitcoms where people just do not escape this is one called the girl with something extra if you remember this and as if the opening credit song isn't enough we need to hear just the dialogue when she enters her house oh wait do you think this was done in the 70s i'm joking what the fuck was that theme song to everything Starring Sally Field in The Girl with Something Extra. <laughs> and John Davidson. John? John, how come you're home so early? 
come you knew I was home? Well, I saw your car and did some brilliant deducting. That's a relief. For a moment there, I thought you might be clairvoyant, too. Just right. Well, that I can deal with. And extremely passionate. Oh, that I can deal with, too. I know. Uh, but not right now. So we don't have time. John, that's terrific. What? That you're going to Las Vegas on a business trip. Most wives wouldn't be too excited about that. Well, most wives wouldn't be invited. Or know that they are before they are. I have to go upstairs and pack my suitcase. You want to come and watch? Why? Well, I happen to be the fastest packer in the West. Isn't that great? <laughs> I guess so. What do you mean, you guess so? Don't you know what a talent like that can do? What? Give us time. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't believe that show didn't make it. It's it's amazing. Oh my God, what the fuck happened to our society? I ugh. so the premise is that she has ESP, and uh, so she she can she knew he was going to Vegas because she can read his mind or something. I I don't know. Girl with something extra. Oh, see what I did there? Uh, oi. So she's in shows like that, and then all of a sudden, she balloons. I don't, you know, she just got lucky being in Smokey and the Bandit, and then she, I mean, because she was going to be in this Heroes, that wasn't going anywhere because that was probably filmed before too. Because then she wouldn't be in Heroes either. So all of a sudden, she becomes a huge star thanks to goddamn Burt Reynolds, who you know that no they um. The people, the studio didn't want her. They're like, no, she's not pretty enough. She's not sexy enough. And uh, Burt Reynolds is like, no, 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 she'll be great. And then they start dating. Forget about it. Smartest move she ever made, dating to Burt Reynolds. And then she's on The Tonight Show joking around with Burt Reynolds. And then she, you know, wins an Oscar. I mean, this is a, this, it's, it's a miracle. I mean, she's, she's, she is a good actress. But, you know, why would you think in what we just heard that she could pull off Major motion pictures. You wouldn't. So that's a lucky thing. So she's in two movies that year. She's a huge box office star, just like that. Even though it doesn't seem to her, it's not just like that, but it is. And Harrison Ford, just like that. Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, here, here it is, what I was just going to say. Uh, about smoking the bandit, I just have to say. Um, this is, I found it some stuff. Uh, legendary, you're not going to believe it. Legendary filmmaker Alfred Hitchcock stated the movie was one of his favorites. <laughs> That's hilarious. Upon meeting Burt Reynolds, Billy Bob Thornton told him that the picture was not considered as such in the South. Uh, you know, uh, as a movie, it was considered more of a documentary. <laughs> and do you know what the plot was? I don't, I don't, do you remember what the plot was that they had to get Coors beer because they wouldn't serve. It's so funny when you think about it. Now, they wouldn't sell Coors beer to the east side of the Mississippi, so that's what they were transporting, Coors beer. I always forget the premise. So I remember the second one with the pregnant elephants. The original, I just have to read because this is so funny. This is great. The original actors mostly redubbed their own lines for the television version. Except for Jackie Gleason, because he, you know, he doesn't have time for nonsense. So the guy that dubbed Jackie Gleason's voice in the television version of Smokey and the Bandit, 
what you know, what is, you know, you can't say some bitch. Actor Henry Corden, who voiced Fred Flintstone after the original Fred Flintstone, Alan Reed died, was used to replace uh, the Cheryl, Sheriff Justice's dialogue. But remember that Fred Flintstone was a parody of Jackie Gleason, of Ralph Cramden, <laughs> of Jackie Gleason's Ralph Cramden. So it's funny that that guy was like, yeah, oh, let's use that guy because that's what he's doing, a parody of Jackie Gleason. Anyway, only interesting knowledge to you and me. But I just, uh, so anyway, that year, so it's it's fascinating. Uh, oh, and then we have, so you have the, it's, right. So, you know, also Saturday Night Fever was that same year. So you also have, Another TV star making it huge in the movies that year, which is just um, rather fascinating. And that's the year, ironically, all these films, Star Wars, Smoking the Bandit, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Saturday Night Fever, the one that won was Annie Hall. That's fucking badass shit. Woody Allen, who is a genius, no matter what you think at this point, beat out all those box office things because Annie Hall is just the fucking shit. And that year, also in television, uh, it's actually Laverne and Shirley beat Happy Days by like a tenth of a point. It never won because it was new and fresh. ABC had the top three. So it's Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, and Three's Company. You believe that? 1977. I mean, you totally believe it. It's the, and that's a one-night lineup of Tuesdays. Laverne and Shirley, Happy Days, Three's Company. ABC was the shit they had. Charlie's Angels was fourth. Eight is Enough, Soap, The Love Boat, all ABC. Fantasy Island, Monday Night Football, Barney Miller. And so Welcome Back, Cotter was in 26th place, but uh, that's because John Travolta had left the show to do Saturday Night Fever. So, obviously. But that year, the Golden Globes. So we know that year in the Oscars, Richard Dreyfuss wins. For the Goodbye Girl. But at the Golden Globes, Henry Winkler was nominated because they have a drama and a comedy category. So he was nominated for Best Actor, lost to Richard Burton in Equus. Uh, But he was there with Gregory Peck and Al Pacino and Henry Winkler. (laughs) And then for the best comedy, Richard Dreyfuss also won uh, for the, you know, this is just like The Martian. Richard Dreyfuss won for best musical or comedy. Oh, I guess, and they put John Travolta. I guess you consider it a musical. It's so not if you see it, but they put him. And De Niro for New York, New York. Mel Brooks was nominated for High Anxiety and Woody Allen for Annie Hall. Made sense that Richard Dreyfuss would win because uh, he was terrific uh, as long as the uh, thing is musical or comedy. But here's the great thing about the uh, the Goodbye Girl won Best Film, Musical or Comedy. And Annie Hall did not win Best Film that year in the Golden Globes. The Turning Point did, the ballet movie. Huh. The Goodbye Girl beat Annie Hall for Best Film, Musical or Comedy. You know, I didn't know that, and that is just a joke. I love the Goodbye Girl, but... To not acknowledge Annie Hall. What are you, a, a 
fucking retard? The Goodbye Girl is terrific. But Annie Hall, if you're putting it down as best film musical or comedy, I mean, the fact that it beat everything, all the dramas, is a modern-day miracle because a comedy's never, ever won since. But if you're telling me that you have a category, best musical or comedy, and Annie Hall doesn't win, who the fuck is deciding this shit? Annie Hall was like the most groundbreaking movie, especially comedy. I mean, I mean, since Blazing Saddles. You can't give it to Blazing Saddles because it's too much cursing. But technically, Blazing Saddles probably should have won Best Picture because it changed comedies forever. And Annie Hall changed romantic comedies forever. mention this if I ever win a Golden Globe I'm going to let them have it so but here's the best part though um, so the Golden Globes also acknowledges television so Ann Asner who I was nominated up against uh, when I was on the Sarah Silverman show uh, <laughs> wins for Lou Grant is in the best actor in a drama and he beats uh, you know this list is hilarious now Robert Conrad for Baba Black Sheep. Peter Falk for Columbo. That's tough. James Garner for The Rockford Files. And Telly Savalas for Kojak. That is a tough... That's, those are some tough cookies to beat. But best actor, musical or comedy series, here is the categories. Alan Alder for MASH. Ron Howard for Happy Days. Hal Linden for Barney Miller. And Carol O'Connor... For All in the Family. And the winner out of all those television icons is Henry Winkler. Which means in 1977, Henry Winkler really was the shit. He was nominated for Best Actor in a Motion Picture. And he was nominated and won for Best Actor in a Television Series. Wow. Wow. So if you ever, if if your kids ever ask, he was popular. Show them the Golden Globe list. Jesus, how about that? You know, sometimes you tend to forget how popular he was because time has passed, and you know, whatever. But I mean, that's that's a tough one to beat. Alan Alda, Ron Howard, and Carol O'Connor. You talk about you're you're up against Hawkeye, Richie Cunningham, and Archie Bunker. Just like, you know, Lou Grant beats out Columbo, Jim Rockford, and Kojak. <laughs> that year, uh, Carol Burnett wins for the uh, Carol Burnett show. And she beats B. Arthur for Maud, Penny Marshall. She beats Laverne. She beats uh, Isabel Sanford from the Jeffersons. Wheezy. I couldn't think of the name. It was driving me crazy. She, she beats Dingbat from All in the Family and Shirley from Laverne and Shirley. Boy, these were real races, right? I don't. I, I should have printed like this year's list and just been like, does anybody know who these people are? But these, but these—that's the funny thing. It's like if we looked at this year's list, these are like iconic characters. Every name I'm saying, you know, it's like I'm like Lou Grant beat Columbo and Kojak. I mean, I don't even need to say the, the actors' names, which we already know. And then the Fonz beat out Hawkeye and Archie Bunker. Carol Burnett beat out 
Maud and Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 a real win. It's not like you know Richard Dreyfuss winning Best Actor because you know he beat out Woody Allen as an actor. You know, <laughs> you know, or, that, there was just nobody that year. Which, in a way, you know, I think that's maybe why I haven't seen it yet. But I'm thinking maybe that's why Bands Visit Bands Visit might have won. You know, there wasn't a lot of competition. I haven't seen it. When I see it, I will judge it, even though it's possible I may never get work again. We got to be honest. Unless he's on the show, unless David Yazbek is on the show, then I will say it's the greatest play I've ever seen in my life. Just like any time I meet a girl, I'm like, that's the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. Because that is the two-faced bastard I am. And what do you want me to do about it? What do you want me to do about it? Hey, I got also... um, I don't know why. I just found it. So I figured, uh, what the hell? Here's a deleted scene from Caddyshack. How's it going, Jack? Morning, Carl. How you doing? Pretty good. Good morning, Mr. Noonan. Okay there, Carl. How you doing? Okay. How's your game, Ty? It's pretty good. I'm loosening up a bit. Mind if I uh, show you a little something? Something you know, I, I've been watching you yeah, and seeing what the hell you're up to, and this is what I see. That's a club. Yeah? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Here's you, see. Yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. Too fast. Very fast. Much too fast. You're going to make too you wet. So you're coming back here. You're breaking in around here. By the time you get down to here, see, you've lost it all. And by the time you get down here to your contact zone, you may as well be playing on the ladies' tee. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Can I hit this one? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you hit that one out of here? Go ahead. Enjoy uh, it. It's good. Anyway, he's hitting other people's balls. It's a pretty funny scene. I can see why they deleted it, but um, it was just another scene with Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, of which there, you know, is legendarily only one. You know, the story is that Hey, we don't have our two biggest stars. Um, um, big news for this podcast, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> you know, big news in our world only. Uh, Harold Ramis, the great Harold Ramis, director, writer of Caddyshack, writer of Animal House. I'm doing all this on top of my head. <laughs> uh, director of Vacation writer of and creator of Ghostbusters, writer and director of Groundhog Day. These are all at the top of my head. Writer of Stripes. I can go on. Someone who I consider to be the father of modern comedy. His daughter came out with a new book. She's going to join us on the podcast in July. That's terrific news. And she doesn't mind just talking about it. We're just going to go crazy. I don't think we have to do anything but like so how are you you know we can just go off on her father we can play clips i have to have this woman on my show this is for me this is my scorsese netflix thing when i can tell her how much her father meant to me uh it'll be a complete love fest in 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 nobody's world I'm, i'm gonna go too much but i can't help myself I must tell this woman I've never met <laughs> how amazing her father was. And uh, fortunately, I don't think, I think they had a very good relationship. Otherwise, this would be a disaster, you know. Uh, oh, my God. Speaking of which, oh, my God. I just saw 
David Cassidy has a new uh, documentary, and um, it's on A and E, and it's it's his. Uh, I think it's called the Last Session, and it it's so depressing. He was dying clearly, and he knew it, and he guess he let people follow him around. And this movie, uh, it's so funny because I mean it's not funny, but it's 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 so sad. You know, he's he's a mess, and. He, uh, all he's talking about his father. Remember, we always like to make fun of Jack Cassidy on this, uh, on this show. He's talking about his father, Jack Cassidy. Now, his father was the worst person. I mean, like, really a bad person. And in the sense of being so selfish, hated David's career the way I would be if my nephew Billy becomes really famous. I'm going to be angry. Um, so he was that way, but then you try not to be, and you'd be the best person you can, but this guy couldn't do it. So he hated him. They had a horrible relationship and all this guy does. It's so fucked up. How important people's, I said this at my dad's funeral. It is so fucked up how we all, and I'm not just talking about boys. I'm, you know, I'm talking about girls. That's the only way I even meet girls. Daddy issues. We all have them. It is so fucked up how the world is so caught up in making their father proud when it should really always be about the mother the mother is the one that gives you birth and unconditional love and i suppose that it's the disconnect between a person and their father that is the i'm going to spend a lifetime making my dad like me it's so fucked up and it happens to all of us not me so much but uh but uh <laughs> no certainly it did my god i think about it myself it i i remember i was on the joe franklin show the joe franklin goes where'd you get your humor from and i said my dad i didn't get the humor from my dad i just said that because i wanted him to be impressed that i was on the joe franklin show we all do this girls forget about it that's what makes strippers uh i mean it, it it's uh, but guys are just as bad and it's so, it's funny that we can't see ourselves doing it when really it's the mothers that we should really be giving our all to. You don't even need a father. I always said I would have grown up so much better without a dad. We don't need dads. You don't need a dad. You need a mom, you need a dad to make the money and get, put a house over you. Well, that's what the old days. Now you don't need a dad at all. What do you need a dad for? Mother works too. You just, you need two people. But really being raised by two women is probably best. What do you need a father for? He just, he just creates problems. Men are retarded. We all know that now. But what are you trying to get your daddy's love for? For what purpose? What did he do? I mean, listen, there's lots of dads. The right thing to do, they're good people. You know, like, uh, like my cousin, who was the devil's. Makes sense. His dad's a wonderful guy. But this David Cassidy, you got to see it. And then you'll see what I'm talking about. He's just talking about his dad. Oh, he had a voice of an angel. The last record he's doing is songs my dad taught me. This guy hated him. He was a horrible human being. It's documented. And then he's doing, all he's talking about is, oh, the end scene, it's so sad. He's just like, oh, dad, if you can hear me now. Oh, I miss you so much. But he probably does because when you hear the story, he was, he was kind of abandoned. It, David had nobody. He just, he had like, you know, he had Shirley Jones was his stepmom and he had other kids, but he didn't have, Jack Cassidy didn't care to have him around. 
And like, you know, Shirley Jones kind of did become a mother, but he had many other problems. But like, so you get it, but it's like your dad was a creep and he didn't want you. Why at the end of your life are you just talking about your dad? It's so weird and so interesting on so many psychological Freudian levels. You know, it's funny. uh, I also... This week, watched the Seven Percent Solution. What does one have to do with the other? That's the best part of our show, right? This is why you listen to the Nightfly. What is the Seven Percent Solution? A film made in the seventies about Sherlock Holmes meeting Sigmund Freud have to do with anything? Well, Sigmund Freud is the answer. I'm watching that, and I'm like, boy, this is so interesting. And and you know, oh, oh, is it my favorite movie ever? Oh, I don't know. Um, let me see. Is it Sherlock Holmes? And he asks Sigmund Freud to help him solve a murder? I guess it is. Of course it is. That's the only television I like. Somebody ridiculous. A magician? Sigmund Freud? I want the devil? I, I want... It's so ridiculous. It's so obvious, the show I have to make. It has to be just people from history solving crimes with the NYPD. You know, so they already have Sherlock. I already watch Elementary. I already watch Deception. You know, anybody that helps the FBI or anybody solves crime. So what I'm going to have to do now is have Picasso come in and help solve his crimes with his, you know, obscure art techniques. He's like, well, what do you think of the drawings of this building? So I'm like, well, if you mix it up a little bit, and take this beam and put it over there, like, but that beam, the building will fall. Yes, but there is plenty of room for a passageway. <laughs> this is clearly what I have to do. And I, and in not doing this, I'm just going to get depressed again because I've wasted my life. And the best part about wasting my life on this is if I were to achieve this goal, what a complete waste of time it'll be <laughs> because it, it, it doesn't solve anything. Wait a second. I don't understand. Why do you have Ernest Hemingway solving a crime? And I'm like, because it's important. For who? Me. This is all I want to watch on television. You know, we're going to have to bring in Jack Kerouac and see what he's up to. Uh, Only his poetry can possibly solve the murder. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to think of people off the top of my head. (laughs) Oh. We're going to have to bring in, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy that wrote uh, The Wizard of Oz, L, Frank L. Baum. L. Frank Baum. Only his version of Secret Lands can help us solve this one crime. It wasn't murder. He's covering up for the scarecrow. Don't you get it? Don't you get it, Petricelli? Why do you keep saying Petricelli? Well, let me tell you why. Because before, just like we played Sally Field, uh, before she became uh, an unbelievable overnight box office sensation in the number two and 15 films in 1977, uh, she was in a load of crap. Before Harrison Ford became an international movie star and also having the number one and 15 films, let alone what his career was going to do, and her career as well, uh, he was in shows like Petricelli, which is what? I don't know. It's like about a, a a guy, an attorney, who leaves the city and moves to Texas to solve crimes. Uh, or, I don't know, be a lawyer that 
solves crimes. It's probably an early Matlock. I don't know what the fuck it was. It starts this Jewish guy, Barry Newman, and the opening theme song is the normal one we expect. Petricelli. Or Petricelli? I don't know. He's married. Oh, and him and his wife are building, and there they go. They did, I'm watching it. They're going over the uh, George Washington Bridge to live their new life. Here we go. Ah, it's 1974. Also starring Harrison Ford, Anthony Petricelli, attorney at law, another Jew playing an Italian. Also starring Susan Howard. Oh, here's the part where he, try, he gets run over by a car, or somebody's trying to kill him. Here's a guy trying to strangle him. It's all the opening credits. But it's also them trying to build a house. Oh, here's, here's Petricelli. Oh, he's covering the parking meter so he doesn't have to park. Oh, he's hilarious. Oh, Petricelli. Oh. Yeah, that's the kind of... Oh, here's the closing credits. Here's that, that sound we like, the theremin. It's Petricelli. We'll be back next week with another episode of Petrocelli. <laughs> and then it's just the, the closing is him and his wife um, having a glass of wine together. Well, a toast to another day. And then there's him reading, reading legal books. It's the same, um, the, the, the guy that did this theme, I don't know what his deal is. It's Lalo Schifrin, I think. It's the same guy that did the greatest theme ever, which is Mannix. One of the other shots of him. Oh, yeah, then him in Texas uh, eating a huge sandwich that's bigger than he is with the guy with the cowboy hat. Then there's them building the house. I don't, th- I don't think they ever finished that house. that 70s music it's absolutely horrid my god how did we let that happen Petricelli will continue in a moment or is it Petricelli I can't remember Remember they had all those but Del Vecchio will continue you know I love that kind of stuff um, but I can't believe the guy that wrote that you know just wrote the uh, the greatest theme ever I mean come on now that's a theme that, maybe because that was the 60s maybe that's the difference Wrote this Mission Impossible. I mean, the guy's a fucking genius. And then he wrote, it must have been like 90 or something. He wrote, oh, uh, can you write us a song? What's the name of the show? Petrocelli. Oh, I got just the one. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Manic. Mike Connors. Oh, there we go. What if uh, SUV has to call in Manix on a, on a crossover episode? Mike Connors joins the cast of SUV. I know he just died, so it's a problem, but I'll play him. TV's Mannix. In a crossover episode, TV's Mannix joins the cast of SUV. It was murder. Or I could play uh, Quincy, uh, which would be great. I can, can I do a Jack Klugman? Oh, it was murder. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I got to get that clip of Joe Flaherty doing uh, Jack Klugman in uh, SCTV. At some point, because <laughs> the best part about SCTV also, and they do it on Saturday Live, is when they try and they don't really have it right, but the attempt is there. And sometimes that's just as funny as um, anything else. Uh, the other thing I wanted to tell you is the, uh, you know, the Dukes of Hazard was basically based on 
Smoking the Bandit. That's, you know, how powerful Smoking the Bandit was, you know, spun off a TV show, which was such a popular TV show. And I was thinking about it because, you know, I saw Bo Duke doing a Grape Nuts commercial the other day. And I'm like, why the hell is he doing that? And of course, the answer is he, he needs money. He's an actor. You know, just get whatever he takes, which is kind of funny because when you're and he still looks so good, too. So. Um, the, so the, the so but here's the thing, the three actors from the main cast, of the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, John Schneider and the uh, the guy that plays Enos, I think, and and somebody else have small uncredited roles in Smoking the Bandit. And John Schneider is one of them. And in return, we've forgotten about this, but Burt, Burt Reynolds plays Boss Hogg in the film adoption of the Dukes of Hazard. So how about that? I mean, that is not interesting at all, is it? Uh, well, I, I thought it was. And uh, to, 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 to finish off our, our, our week together, uh, I have, um, I was reading about, do you remember from the 80s when that guy Curtis Sharp won the lottery in New York? I guess it was more of a local thing, but this black guy, this big black guy, Curtis Sharp, he won it and became kind of a celebrity. Then this guy, Lou Eisenberg, also won. They won like they were the first lottery winners ever. They won $5 million apiece. And then they did a whole bunch of ad campaigns. Because I remember my dad even going, see, he, he came in. He was just, uh, you know, uh, he couldn't talk. He was black. And then this, he, now he's educated. It's <laughs> so racist. But I think we all felt that way. We just didn't know we were being racist at the time. But everybody felt like, you see how he's changed around? The money has helped him. I mean, we're just so raised. We just did. If I tell the paralegal kids that, they'll kill him, they'll crucify me. But it's a fact. Anyway, the funny thing is those guys are still friends. Uh, they're, they're, they're 80 and 90. And they were like kind of local heroes, kind of like myself, you know, in the 80s with my Manhattan Public Access show. Thank you. Um, but now they're both broke. Uh, two divorces apiece. And uh, they're still friends, but they have no money, and they live in like a mobile home. It's the saddest of all stories, but at least their friendship is kind of a great end to the story. But those divorces, oh, they'll get you every time. Now, you're expected to get divorced when you become a millionaire. Uh, that's the only thing that makes sense in life. You know, it's just, what are you going to do? It happens. Uh, but the second one, you got to be more careful if you get remarried and really why would you get remarried if you have all the money? Just, you know, don't, why, why put it on paper? Is, if you got kids already, whatever, if you want kids, then it's different, but make wiser choices. <laughs> but these guys were blue collar workers and they just uh, worked it out. So the Jew and a black together again as old men. It reminds me of my grandmother and uh, the cleaning lady. And uh, when they moved to Vegas together, to live together, to live out their lives together, and then as soon as they moved out there, the cleaning lady died. My grandmother outlived the cleaning lady. Now, it's rare that you hear that kind of stuff, but she was a black cleaning lady from Harlem, and uh, I remember her so well. She was so cool, but she was, you know, her name was Lee. She made amazing coleslaw, amazing bacon and eggs, and she was a lovely woman. And she loved my grandmother so much because I think she took care of her, you know. But I always remember, because this was in Brooklyn, she would always put her money in her shoes so she could go home safely because she lived in Harlem. 
and obviously a very dangerous neighborhood. I always remember putting her money in the shoe, her weekly money in the shoe. That's all I can remember as a kid. And then I couldn't believe that they were living together, that they were going to move in together, and I guess this was in the 80s, um, in Vegas. I mean, what are the odds that she kept in touch with the cleaning lady? I don't know. Uh and then, and then after she, you know, after my grandmother died, she, grandfather died, she was dead because that was a good love affair. And then, um, you know, she had the cleaning lady, and then, 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 then she just uh, fell apart. After the cleaning lady, she's like, "Well, this sucks. Looks like everybody I love keeps dying. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to smoke. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to smoke like a fish. I'm going to smoke like a chimney. And hopefully, God will take me soon. And she lasted another twenty years. She was so miserable, and she. Had this amazing personality. She wasn't like me. She was the complete opposite. She was not depressed. She was happy-go-lucky. She was fun. Had perfect skin. Uh, you know, said screw Temple. You know, I'm just having a good time. I don't feel like going. I'm having a good time. Uh, was so nice and polite to everybody and fun woman. Just always gave everybody money. You always had money. I guess they were kind of well off or where they lived and how they lived in the times. And... um so she just was like, fuck it, I just want to die. And she smoked cigarettes for 20 years, hoping it was going to kill her. Still, she still lasted until well into her 90s. So, and then when we went to her apartment, when she finally moved down to Florida at the end, um, we could not sell it because we couldn't get the smoke out. We, there, there was nothing we could do to get the stench of the smoke, you know, even pulling up the carpeting. It was in the walls. Ugh. And she would just puff. And we don't even know whether she inhaled. I think that was the problem. She would smoke Winston's. Who smokes that? Uh, finally today, boy, I just read about this on the Today Show today. I was watching it. Oh, my God. This is an amazing story. You're probably going to hear about it soon. This Canadian clarinetist, he, had a, he was like a prodigy. And he had a chance to get into this big, you know, art school. The world's best music, one of the world's best music professors. Uh, and he auditioned. And his girlfriend didn't want him to go so she made up a fake email address and did all this stuff and schemes and told him he wasn't accepted when he was so two years go by he auditions again and the guy's like you know i think you got a lot of nerve you turned me down he's like when did i turn you down you turned me down two years ago dummy i said i said i'd love to have you here i was gonna put you on a scholarship he goes no, you didn't. You said, oh, you know, like <laughs> one of those things. Like, when's it going to, uh, you know, when's it going to turn that he's, oh, my God, what's the matter with my mind? When's it going to occur to him that something happened and through the research? Oh, my God. And then he just won a court case against this twat who, uh, you know, has got to pay like 300. She doesn't have that money. But, I mean, what an evil woman. Her name is Jennifer Juine Lee, whatever. She's Asian. You don't usually hear those um manipulative plots from the Asian girls. You know, I, I mean, that's prejudice that sounds. You just, you just don't. Uh, very surprising. Well, she wanted to keep her man. Wow. That is so hot. I can't even imagine, like, when she's like, oh, my God. There's something so sexy about it. Even though I'd be livid that a girl did that to me, the sexiness of, like, her not wanting to lose her man and then and what she must have turned on to, like, keep him. This, he's probably like thinking about it now. He's like, you know, obviously they broke up, but he's probably just like, mm, I don't know. Maybe one more time and go back. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, that's so hot, but it's you know, it's also 
just the worst thing ever. What a horrible, selfish person. And again, when I say person, I'm, I'm using a polite term. Because, you know, it's the Me Too movement. You gotta, you know, you gotta be careful what you say because you know, a lot of people you know, in this world don't, don't appreciate you know, the, the, when they, they talk about women, uh, scantily clad uh, women that, uh, you know, don't even... Uh, <laughs> oh, wait. I had a couple of other songs I went to the plate that I forgot. Um, guess where this is from? Come on, can you guess it? I was just watching it today before I turned, before I did the podcast. Very hot, very hot. Come on, you know you got it. <laughs> hey, you know that girl? Oh, sorry, man. Is she your girl? I'm sorry, I didn't know. She's like, no, no. She smells pretty good. Drives me wild. My father said I could go home there tonight if it's okay with him. Yeah, it's from 16 Candles on the dance floor. Very hot, very hot. <laughs> I, I was wondering if you'd recognize it if I played it. It's uh, from the same band who did another cr- classic movie. Got it? Hey, what's a bath without bubbles? Hey, bubbles, get over here. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can help me straighten up my Longfellow. <laughs> yes, it's the great Danny Elfman at Oingo Boingo, that bad party. I like when it goes higher. Key change. The great Danny Elfman has done classic themes for Batman, The Simpsons, countless others, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, my God. This guy became the man in uh, motion picture uh, musical history. I mean, he's just as prominent as John Williams in a completely different way. So how about that? But according to his uh, rock days, uh, writes pretty shitty songs. So, uh... What do you write? I mean, his songs are out there, man. I mean, they are out there. That's the problem with them. Anyway, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did bringing it to you. We had a good time today, a lot of good conversation. It got a little heated for a little bit. We got political. We got crazy. We got old-fashioned. Talked about movies and television, all the stuff we like to talk about on The Nightfly with Dave Juskow. Now, next week will be my in-depth interview with Senator... No, I'm just kidding. Next week, we are going to the Cabana down in Long Branch, New Jersey, where my friend Dave Elliott will once again welcome him, us into his Cabana, where I look to the right of me and I see the Atlantic Ocean. And what a pleasant experience that always is because Dave is a nice, funny guy and we're going to talk about the decorations he puts up and the cabana to make it extremely special. And I promise you, it will be a fun time, even though it sounds boring the way I'm explaining it. And after that, in the coming months, yes, whatever Howard Ramos' daughter's name is, I 
think her name is Vicky or something. I don't know. But you might remember her because the first thing I said is like, oh, my God, that's the girl who was in vacation who was born without a tongue. And my friend goes, oh, my God, how do you know that? I'm like, I know everything about Harold Ramis. So we're going to meet the girl born without a tongue in the coming months this summer. It's going to be a good summer, as our anti-hero, Robert De Niro, says in Goodfellas. But whatever. We always have Goodfellas and Godfather 2 to remember him by. And other stuff, too, I guess. Whatever. Anyway, I'll see you next time, everybody. Have a great summertime week. And we'll see you next week on The Night Fly with Dave Duskow. Good night, everybody.